0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Challenge on campus. I am so excited that you're here, that we're here together. This is crazy, but um, I'm really pumped. It's been over two years since we have been indoors on campus for our large group meeting, and I'm just really stoked about it, as you can tell. Maybe maybe you're less stoked about it than I am, because you don't remember the good old days. But no, we're, we're here now. All right, this is awesome. and so. I guess, let's just jump into it, honestly. And so, I want to start by asking us a question. You have some notes, by the way, a handout that you can take notes in. I want to ask a question here, though. Have you ever found yourself in a context where you just didn't belong? Where maybe you were in a different country or something, and just maybe the way people talk in that space, and the way they dress, and the way they live is different from you. Is that... A situation you've encountered before. I've personally gone to a couple places. I've been to Kenya before. I've been to China before. And yes, as you kind of enter those areas and even as you continue in those areas, you might just feel to yourself, man, like I really, I don't look the same as those, these other people. I don't speak the same language in some areas. And uh, it's just different, man. And there's a discomfort. There's a disorientation that comes with that feeling. We sometimes put ourselves in that situation by going on a vacation or whatever, but imagine being, being forced into that environment. Imagine being forced into an environment where you are, you are not where you belong. And so sometimes whole nations are forced to flee from their home and live as refugees. This is a thing that happens in our world. And throughout history, too, empires would capture the citizens' Of another country and forced them to live in exile away from their home. This is a reality just from from life, from history, and it's really sad. And this is the state that God's people found themselves in in 586 BC. That is when their holy city of Jerusalem was invaded by a world power known as the Babylonian Empire. They were in exile with no way home. And so tonight we're gonna read a passage that was originally written to the people that were a part of that, the victims of this historical Babylonian exile. And then we'll then explore this theme of exile and how it applies to you and I so much more than we realize right now. And so we're gonna get into all of that. I've got a massive passage on your sheet that we're going to read together. And so just uh, follow along with me with your, as you read, and uh, I'll just read this to you guys. It's from Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, And come to me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. That's a lot. That's a lot to unpack, but we're gonna unpack it tonight. We're gonna take it kind of bit by bit. And so starting, the first blank on your handout is to settle your state of exile. Settle your state of exile. And so this is kind of an overall idea that regards this passage, and then we'll get to more nitty gritty elements of it. But I wanna tell you something that you might not know about yourself you are in exile. You are in exile right now. Sitting here in this room, you are in exile, whether you you know it or not. (laughs) And when I say settle your state of exile, I mean that there are two options. There are two options. I'm going to explain all this. But you are either an ejected exile or an elected exile. What do I mean by that? First being in an ejected exile. That's your default state as a member of of sinful humanity. And so I'm going to take this way back. The first book of the Bible is a book called Genesis. And in that book, God, at the very beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates mankind represented by two people. Two people. And, And he also gives them this garden to live in called the Garden of Eden, and you might have heard of it. And it's just this, it's, it's more than just a garden. When I think garden, I think of something kind of boring, you know. But uh, no, in the Garden of Eden was a place of overlap between heaven and earth, where God and man could dwell together. And so mankind was living in community, in fellowship, with God in an incredible way in that, at that time in that garden of eden and then and then we blew it because sin was had no part in that garden of eden but we sinned we messed up we disobeyed God mankind disobeyed God to his face and as we've explored in other messages from the series God's holiness does not coexist with our sinfulness And so he had to expel them from this beautiful place he'd made. And we read that in Genesis chapter three, it says, so the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I don't even know what that means. Flashed back and forth. I'm still, I'm still working on that one. But it's crazy. But basically, we've got cherubim, which is like kind of angels, essentially. And they're guarding this, this place with a flaming sword. And once again, there's a lot of implications. I don't fully understand from that. But what that means to me and what I see here what we read in God's word is that's a symbol that there, there's no going back. There, there's no way home on our own. You and I, we're not getting through that cherubim with a flaming sword that flashes back and forth. Because of human sin, God exiled all mankind from the only place that we truly called home. The whole rest of the story of the Bible is about two things. It's about humanity's continued failure to get back to the garden on their own. And it's about God's unfolding plan of redemption to bring us back. And that plan culminated in the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who we read about at the beginning of the New Testament, and he paid the price for our sin so that we could return to Fellowship with God. Jesus came to rescue humanity from exile. Now moving moving along here, there's a verse from 1 Peter. And it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. he's, He's introducing himself. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles. Look at what he calls these believers. These are believers throughout this region he's writing to to those who are elect exiles. Like what? Hold on. I I'm, I'm reading this. I thought that followers of Christ are no longer exiles, right? Jesus came to rescue humanity from exile. But but there's still in, he's he's calling them elect exiles. What's that all about? That's where the second form of exile comes in. You see, when you decide to follow Jesus, you are no longer ejected from the garden when you decide to follow Jesus you're no longer ejected from the garden and instead you are elected by God and so this this elected thing what's that all about it's like I guess voting language you know it's you (laughs) you take your ballot you write down you elect a government official and you that means you choose him or her it's like I'm choosing this person as a person I want to run my country or whatever and so in the Bible, God, through Peter, refers to his people as elect exiles. We are elect because we've been chosen by God for a new life in him. And, but we, we are still exiles, however, because we're still here. We're still here on earth kind of figuring out what to do from here. And so followers of Jesus experience exile because their values don't line up with the culture around them and because they're waiting. We're waiting for a true home to come. And so before I move on to the rest of our passage and everything else that has to do with Jeremiah and all these, these exiles, what about you? Are you an ejected exile or an elected exile? Are you an ejected exile or an elected exile? If you're in earshot of me right now and are still ejected, you're separated from God due to your sin. You have the opportunity, you have the opportunity right now to respond to this gift, this free gift of eternal life that he gives you. You can turn away from the sin that got you banished in the first place and turn to Jesus as the one who rescues you from exile so that you can find a home in knowing him and being with him forever. So if that is you, then I encourage you to to indicate that on your connection card later, to talk to somebody after. We'd love to, to help you in finding your next steps, especially regarding what to do with your relationship with God. And so I'm gonna move along here, but I really want to just make sure that we're understanding this difference between an injected exile and an elected exile because the next three points have to do with those of us who are living as elect exiles on the earth. And so, moving on to number, number two, point number two, seek the good. Seek the good of your temporary home. You see, as elect exiles, we have a, a choice to make or maybe a, a question to answer. What do we do now? I'm still in exile, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for home. It's coming. But in the meantime, what do I do? And so the simple answer here is to seek the good of your temporary home. And so it can be easy to fall into some pitfalls regarding just the fact that we don't belong here. And one of them, we could be apathetic, right? Like, why bother? Why do I need to worry about my ethics, my behavior, or the way I treat this person or that thing. Because it's all going to go away anyways. And I'm going to spend you know, eternity with God in heaven. You know, that's an apathetic approach to, to this. And then second, we could, we could be resistant to it. You know? We could resist all the cultural things in a way that kind of just is trying to fight, fight our own fight. And try to make things more like the kingdom of God. When in reality, it's, just, it's coming. And there's nothing we can do to, to, change, to fix, necessarily, this broken world that we live in. Both of those attitudes are called into question by this next portion of our passage. And so starting from verse 6, it says, "'Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare.'" Now, that word welfare, in the original language that this was printed, that was the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. And that means peace. It means good. It means wholeness in different contexts. It also means, like, hi, like it's a greeting, like, shalom, you know? It's a thing that people say to say goodbye or to say hello in a, you know, out in those places. And so, uh, and so, what does this mean? Seek the welfare of, the, seek the shalom of this temporary home. A simple way of looking at this is now that we're here, now that we're here right now, let's make the most of it. Let's make the most of this time. God is saying, don't be apathetic about work or making families or doing good in the community which I've placed, in which I've placed you. He's, and he's also saying, don't, don't pick fights with residents here due to some misguided attempts to resist. And so what should we do? Those are the things not to do, but what should we do? So here are some examples from, once again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 say, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that, they, so that when they slander you, as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. So in First Peter, the author is once again writing to these elect exiles. He's encouraging them to live differently because of the fact that they don't belong here. And that living differently enta- entails some things. And so we read it right here in this verse, it says, entails abstaining from sinful desires. We have We have good desires, we have bad desires, and sometimes we're pulled into sinful desires by just our own nature, but also by the culture around us. And so he says to abstain from sinful desires. And he says, conducting themselves, conduct yourselves honorably. Conduct yourselves honorably. And then also do do good works so that people will glorify God on the day he visits. And so a really helpful quote for me as I was reading and studying this was from John Piper, he says, We will serve our city best by getting our values from the city which is to come. We will do our city most good by calling as many of its citizens as we can to be citizens of the Jerusalem above. There's some quotes, there's some cross references there. But the idea here is, is two ideas that we see from that quote, and that we see from from Peter in 1 Peter 2. Two ideas. We should live righteously and make disciples. Live righteously and make disciples. And so part of what John Piper is saying is that we need to get our values from the city, which is to come. That is, that is heaven. That is our, the, the garden, you know, the, the, original, the original place that God had in mind for humanity. And he has values that are actually given to us in his word. And so as we search the scriptures, we can actually help, it can help us to understand what are these values that we can use in order to live righteously, live righteously and figure out how to do that and treat people well. And then another element of that is to make disciples. To make disciples. Piper says, we will do our city, we will do our temporary home the most good by calling as many of its citizens as we can to be citizens of the Jerusalem above because that place is not going to go away. It's not temporary. And so the best, the most loving thing that we can do for the people around us is to share with them the saving gospel of Jesus, how he has rescued us from exile. And we can share that with them and invite them into that. And we can, as, as Jesus says in the Great Commission, teach them to observe all I've commanded you and so those are, those are some key elements of how we can seek the good of, seek the welfare, the shalom of our temporary residence, our temporary home. So, moving to the third point, say no to false hope. Say no to false hope. Jeremiah 29 8 through 9, middle of the passage, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So the application here is easy. Stop listening to your prophets and diviners. Right, guys? You know what I mean? No, of course you don't know what I mean. I don't know what I mean. What's a diviner? Sheesh! Like you know, uh, prophets. This is not, you know, language that we use. And I don't know any prophets or diviners personally. Uh, so what does this? What does this mean for us? I debated whether to even speak on this part tonight. I was, I sort of left it out of my original draft because I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how this matters to us. But it seems irrelevant. But as I continue to read this passage and the surrounding context, I realize that there's plenty for us to learn from. And here's what I mean. In the chapter before this key passage, Jeremiah 28, there's this interesting story about another prophet named Hananiah. And there's, this might be listed somewhere. Oh, it's on the, I think it's on a slide. It says, In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month of the fourth year, Hananiah, key character, the son of Azur, the prophet from Gibeon, spoke to me, Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, "Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the king of the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon." I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Because okay, so what's that all about? Hananiah is over here basically like, this is the good news. Here you go. He tells the people what they want to hear. He tell, he's saying, this release from exile, it's coming soon. Don't be worried, guys. It's all going to be okay. And then, but later in the story, Later in the chapter, verse 15, there's a little showdown thing. It's kind of fun. And Jeremiah the prophet said to the prophet Hananiah, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will remove from you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have uttered rebellion against the Lord. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Han and I was spreading lies, so God took him out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how it went. It went down. And so it's interesting. And it, and it sheds light, though, on what we're reading in chapter 29. He's saying, don't listen to these guys. Don't listen to these guys. And even though you and I don't have false prophets and diviners spreading lies to us, there are some things that it's easy to be deceived by. It's easy to believe or be deceived into believing that prosperity is coming soon. You know, we can even take scripture sometimes. People, speakers will take scripture, like even verse 11 of Jeremiah 29. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is a a great verse. It might be on an Instagram bio somewhere in this room, but... We can, we can sometimes take verses like this and, and twist them into meaning that we will experience momentary prosperity soon as long as we trust in God. Now, now, watch that. This is tricky. Look out for that. See, God rewards our trust in him, but there is no guarantee. There is no guarantee that physical earthly blessing will follow because we're still in exile. We're still in Babylon. And then, and if you read the New Testament, that confirms that followers of Christ who have been redeemed to Christ's election, we still struggle. 2 Corinthians 4 says, we are afflicted. This is, this is Paul the Apostle speaking. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Suffering is real. Suffering is real. And it might not come to an immediate end. It might not come to an ending time soon. But it is not the end. It will come to an end in God's timing. Psalm 34, 19 says that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm 34, 19. So we can count on God's sovereignty to use our pain for his glory. And we can count on God's deliverance deliverance to rescue us if and when he wills it. And we can count on God's promise that we do have a hope to come. And so we need to say no to false hope. And instead, point number four, set your hope on your true home. Set your hope on your true home. The rest of the passage reads this, "'For I know the plans I have for you. "'You exiles,' declares the Lord, "'plans for welfare and not for evil, "'to give you a future and a hope. "'Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, "'and I will hear you. "'You will seek me and find me "'when you seek me with all your heart. "'I will be found by you,' declares the Lord, "'and I will restore your fortunes "'and gather you from all the nations "'and all the places where I have driven you,' "'declares the Lord.'" And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the hope that we get to look forward to. And God was speaking to the Israelite exiles about Jerusalem. But this promise applies to God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. And in 1 Peter 1.13, back in 1 Peter, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That is him being revealed to all peoples at the end of time. So what is your hope set on tonight? Is your hope set on Passing a difficult class? Is your hope set on finding companionship? Is your hope set on success in your, your future career? There's all kinds of things that we can choose to put our, our hope in, or hope on. But Peter says to us, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and this hope enables us to live joyfully in spite of our suffering. I have a quote from David Platt. He says, true hope is this. God promises your suffering will end in the long term. Exile will not be the end for you, God tells his people. Your suffering will not have the last word. I have good plans for you, and my plans are guaranteed to prevail in the end. That is is our true hope that we can rest upon. And and while we are here, there is still so much that you and I get to enjoy and experience in spite of being in exile. You know, we we get to connect with God through the word and prayer. We get to encourage one another in the context of community like this. And we get to declare the glory of God to those who are still in their state of ejected exile. And so as we as we do these things, as we settle our state of exile, seek the good of our temporary home, and say no to false hope, let's look to Jesus as the source of our hope and look to his coming revelation as the the thing that we set our hope on. One more thing and then I'll, I'll close. When I, this wasn't always the case, but when I go to weddings now, there's a particular moment where I might, I might actually tear up. And it's when everyone stands up, turns toward the back, and witnesses the bride enter. Looking more beautiful than she ever has in her entire life. That moment is a metaphorical shadow, a mere glimpse of what's to come. Revelation 21, two through three tells us, and I saw the, new, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So in some sense, we will, we will be the new Jerusalem. That is a return to the garden. And then finally, the dwelling place of God will be with us. And so finally, we will be home. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for rescuing us from our state of exile that we deserved. God, you have given us new birth into a living hope in you. And so please, please, Put something on our hearts tonight. God, God, make this not return void, but use this word, your word, your spirit, to, to touch us and to help us understand our need for you if we've never committed our life to you. And help us understand our next step as exiles. Our next step as we seek the good of this temporary home. And Father, just fill us with hope for what's to come. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.